All right, we are going to get started. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining the American Constitution Society. We have brought you all together to discuss what is a truly scary opinion uh, from the Supreme Court. This is a draft opinion uh, that was leaked to Politico last night uh, that, if released, would decide the case Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health. And today we're going to be talking with Russ Feingold, president of the American Constitution Society, and Lindsay Langholz, director for policy and program at ACS. Before we get started, I do want to flag that ACS did release a concept statement this morning regarding the draft opinion. You can find that opinion on our social media feeds as well as on our website. So if you haven't checked that out, I encourage you to do so. Uh, and with that, we are going to get started. Lindsay, if I can, I'm going to start by turning this over to you to debrief us on the draft opinion. For folks who haven't had a chance to read the very lengthy draft opinion. Can you fill us in on what it says? Absolutely. Thank you. Um, as you mentioned, it is a 60-page behemoth um, with an appendix, because why not add a few more pages? Um, and the decision uh, that dropped last night to Alito, I want to emphasize, is a draft decision. So before we dig into anything else, um, this is not the law as it currently stands. Um, folks who are seeking access to uh, abortion care who need their health care should continue to do so. This has not changed anything on that front. Um, but the draft decision that, that was leaked to Politico last night um, is a full-throated overturning of Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey, um, if it were to become the, the majority opinion. Um, it does a couple of things. First, it goes after the um, the idea of unenumerated rights um, and places that within the context of originalism, um, says that the nation's three uh, and traditions is where we should look for enumerated rights. And for those who may not know that term, um, for, for rights that are not explicitly referenced in the constitutional text, um, but have been interpreted by courts to exist because of the context and the substance of the, the constitutional text. Um, the other thing that I want to highlight that this particular draft does is lay a pretty significant foundation for um, going after other rights that are in that same. And so what we're talking about there are rights like um, same-sex marriage, uh, the right to consensual sex regardless of your sexuality, um, the right to interracial marriage, a lot of the rights that we have come to rely on and build our, our modern society around, um, and particularly as they pertain to personal autonomy and privacy. Um, and then finally, what the draft opinion did uh, or attempts to do um, is, is set out a pretty uh, extreme view of the the law and the legal history that is around abortion um and it it takes to task rose reasoning as well as it, uh, rose progeny and it does significant damage to the the underpinnings of the right to constitutional abortion which also implicate rights like the right to uh, contraception and other um, other reproductive rights that are not necessarily abortion it, it puts those squarely in the fight as well Thank you, Lindsay. So you said it would overturn Roe v. Wade. In practical terms, what would that mean for reproductive rights if this decision were ultimately handed down by the court? 
what that mean um, in the immediate aftermath is that state law will control um, what we have been seeing recently are a number of conservative state legislatures kind of rushing to pass a number of abortion restrictions. And right now, the number, I believe, is at 26 states that would either outright ban or significantly restrict access to the point that uh, care would no longer be necessarily meaningful um, access to care. And and what that will look like is millions of Americans being denied the ability to access the health care that they need in the places they live. Um, one of the things about this opinion to note is that it comes at the end of a long chipping away of um, the right to access folks' abo- abortion rights. And it is already difficult for many folks, particularly marginalized folks, to access their right to health care. And this is going to supercharge that trend. Um, it's going to mean uh, that people are going to have to travel significant distances to receive the care that they need, or they're going to seek out less um, safe options for themselves. But what we are going to see is a state-by-state determination of the, the rules regarding abortion care. So based on that, I, I think it's easy to say that the impact of this decision will not be felt the same by all. It will really depend not just on where you live, but but also on your financial means. Can, can you talk about that? What's the what is the human toll of a decision like this? Yeah, there are many people who are going to be asked to go over significant barriers to to access the care they need. Um, For folks who are interested on this point, there are two resources I want to highlight. One, the New York Times did digest uh, relatively recently um, about the ways in which Texans have been trying to access their health care. As we all know, or I hope we all know, um, Texans have actually been denied the right to access abortion um, since September of last year. And what the New York Times did was go through and look and see the different ways in which people attempted to access care um, and, the, and the success rates of the folks that they were able to, to sample. Um, and what they saw were people being willing to travel uh, across state lines. That does put pressure on those clinics as well. So what we saw were, was a huge influx to Oklahoma and folks trying to access their care in Oklahoma, that obviously put pressure on those clinics in Oklahoma. Um, and what we've now seen in the aftermath is that Oklahoma has enacted their ban. And so it's going to be difficult for these uh, certain pockets of the country where the nearest state that is allowed um, folks to provide you the care that you need might be five states over. And so for those folks, particularly folks who don't have the financial means or the time, oftentimes these can be lengthy um, journeys to access care and the states that they're traveling to may have waiting periods and other restrictions. Um, and, and these barriers compound. And so if you are in a place where you are perhaps um, have lower income or um, just don't have the, the means to access the care that you need, it's going to, to compound on itself. And it's going to become incredibly difficult for some folks to, to reach the, the healthcare providers that they need. And what we know from history is that banning doesn't actually stop abortions from happening. It, it stops them from happening safely. Um, That's right. There are, there are resources out there um, that have evolved since we, you know, have a a constitutional right to abortion recognized by the court. Um, You know, there's now options for folks to receive abortion pills by mail. Um, There's plan B on the market. There, there are some options that are available that did not exist before, but you're absolutely right. 
um, folks are going to 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 seek out the care that they need in the way that they can. Um, and the goal is to to have as many resources as possible for those folks as they try to navigate what's going to be a pretty difficult space to understand. Going back uh, to the opinion, it rests heavily on the notion that abortion should be left to elected representatives. That's what the opinion suggests. And yet the opinion makes no mention of the fact that the Supreme Court has really gutted voting rights in this country, certainly gutted the Rights Act and enabled voter suppression and partisan gerrymandering. So what do you make of, of that part of the opinion that says this should be left to elected bodies. Yeah, it, it goes out of its way to specifically say state legislatures um, would be the, the bodies to take this up. And it is not on me that Justice Alito is also the author of um, recent opinions out of the court that have gutted the Voting Rights Act, made access to the ballot box more difficult, um, and have greenlit partisan gerrymandering, which I think right now is particularly noteworthy because the gerrymandering has led to unrepresentative state legislatures. And these are the exact bodies that uh, Alito's draft opinion thinks should be in charge of, of these calls. And so what you're seeing is a furthering away from what is a popular uh, position uh, to support abortion by entrenched minorities within state legislatures and by this, you know, this current Supreme Court. Thank you, Lindsay. And I think that is a, a great pivot point to turn to Russ to talk about the impact of this decision on the court itself. We have said many times already um, at ACS that the Supreme Court is facing a legitimacy crisis. So Russ, turning to you, if this is the decision that is ultimately handed down by the court, what will the impact be on the Supreme Court? I think it will be severe. And you have to sort of go back to basics, which is, you know, the Constitution doesn't say the Supreme Court shall decide what rights exist. It doesn't even say that the, that the Supreme Court has the ability to strike down laws or strike down state laws or, or uphold them. This was asserted uh, after the Supreme Court was established in the Constitution by Chief Justice Marshall in Marbury versus Madison. And he asserted the fact court could do this. But everyone has understood throughout the history of our country that the legitimacy of that is based on a couple of things. One of the things that it's based on is the idea that when the court makes decisions and sticks to them for a while, it becomes precedent. It's known as stare decisis. Uh, already decided is what that means. And what it means is that you can't just throw it out. So whatever your views are on issue uh, interracial marriage or contraception or same-sex marriage, this isn't about when it comes to the Supreme Court simply saying, well, that's a policy position I agree with. In these cases, in the Loving decision with interracial marriage, in the Obergefell decision with regard to same-sex marriage, in the Griswold decision with regard to contraception. These are binding precedents that have been in existence for a long time, not to mention, of course, Roe v. Wade, which is about to enter its 50th year as a fundamentally recognized constitutional right. So in terms of the legitimacy of the court, it isn't just that people might be mad about this. It's that it undercuts its whole idea of why it gets to make these choices. It's because it can't just constantly switch on these cases whenever different people come on the court. So then, Jeannie, it operates at another level. Once you do that, what you've done is thrown the court into freefall. Why should anyone accept the idea that the court is the ultimate authority if it can just follow political preferences? And it's so obvious that this is what's going on here. I mean, I look at Susan Collins' statement today, Senator Collins. She said, if this leaked draft opinion is the final decision and this reporting is accurate, it would be completely inconsistent with what Justice Gorsuch and Justice Kavanaugh said in their hearings 
in our meetings and in our meetings in my office. In other words, she's saying, look, I asked you to tell me whether you would respect the legitimacy and the role of the Supreme Court with regard to precedent. And they came over to the court and did just the opposite. So what we end up with that is a court that is robbed of its political legitimacy. And it was already in free fall in terms of its popularity before this. This will be a dagger to the reputation of the court. The worst I've seen in my lifetime. Going back on my upbringing when I was a young guy, look, we had a very interesting view of the Supreme Court. We were always amazed that people like a Republican, like Chief Justice Warren, the former Republican governor of California, would be the author of Brown versus Board. Justice Brennan, one of the most progressive members of the court, was a Republican. He had this idea like it was on the level. In the end, this means it will no longer be on the level. It is nothing, becomes nothing but an illegitimate body doing its own thing uh, in a way that is extremely damaging to the unity of this country. Yeah, and has great consequences for the court, as you suggested, but also to the legal system. The Supreme Court is hostile to its own precedent. Why should lower courts respect Supreme Court precedent? Or for that matter, why should state legislatures respect state precedent, right? This decision pertains specifically to Roe, but it seems to invite states to tee up legislation and therefore tee up uh, other lawsuits about these other constitutional rights, about same-sex marriage, about contraception. You're inviting just nilly litigation about rights that Americans have built their lives on. It totally undermines the rule of law in this country. And yes, what they're essentially doing, especially by using something called the shadow docket, is to send a signal. All right, if you do something like this, we may not rule on it right away, but you go ahead and do it and we'll just have uh, a, a quick decision letting you continue, like in Texas, where women can't get this, this health care now. We'll just, you know, we'll just put this in place without oral argument, without a real discussion, and then you go ahead and later on we'll deal with it. So they do it explicitly in something like this draft opinion, but they do it under the radar in other cases to wink and basically say to the state legislatures, the state courts and others, you don't have to, to, to do anything other than what you want, which is amazing. You'd think these people that have been appointed to life for this position in the court after their long years of training and experience in law would sort of like their, their views respected. But why, as you say, why should they be if this is the way it works? Can we talk about how we got here? If, if there are indeed five votes on the court to overturn Roe, this will have been achieved exclusively by the rights packing of the court during the Trump administration. So what is that? What do we do with that? How do we respond to a packed court like this? Well, the first thing you have to realize is how do we get here is partly because a couple of presidents got to be president. Uh, because we have this insane system where uh, it's electoral college instead of popular vote. So you can say, look, there were two Bush judges, one of them Alito, one of them Roberts, who got in from a president who didn't even have the most votes. But that's legal. There's no question that's also legitimate, uh, even though uh, it's deeply disturbing. What caused the extreme uh, skewing of the court now, though, is the fact that the normal rules of the Senate for confirmation of presidential nominations to the Supreme Court were destroyed by Mitch McConnell. He completely disregarded uh, the long, long time that President Obama should have had to confirm his appointment to replace Justice Scalia. And then, of course, they did just the opposite when Justice Ginsburg suddenly died. As people were already voting for president, that should have been Joe Biden's nomination. So they stole two seats on top of these other ones I mentioned, locking in a couple of 50, 51-year-old people for possibly 30 or 40 years on the court. What we end up with is a court that is locked down not just for this generation, not just for the next generation, but maybe beyond. And as thrilled as I am that Katanji Brown-Jackson will be a justice before very long, she may be stuck there for 30 years uh, in the deep minority. And this is uh, 
unfair because the process that was used went against all the rules and traditions of the Senate. I sat on the Senate Judiciary Committee for 16 years, never saw anything like this. And we should be clear, the court was packed for this reason. This was the, the case that they wanted when they packed the court was to overturn Roe. This is a political outcome. Donald Trump said when he was running, if you elect me, I will basically, he said, I will pack the court with people that he made sure would be against Roe v. Wade and against a woman's right to choose and all these other issues. And uh, Senator McConnell was right on board and all the other Republicans joined in. So, yes, this was uh, this was something that was, yes, it was on the ballot. But that doesn't mean uh, that it's legitimate. It is illegitimate way to handle this. Let's talk court reform because ACS strongly supports support reform. It seems to only... Uh, underscore the urgency of court reform. What would it look like to reform the court, to, to restore the court's legitimacy at this point? As strongly as we all feel, especially today, about a woman's right to choose, about the right to same-sex marriage and these other issues, our belief the court has to be reformed because of its lack of legitimacy. That's the reason. Even it, before this decision. Even before this, we were clearly talking about it for six to eight months. And that's because the actual legitimacy of our legal system, which is what the American Constitution Society is all about, is under great stress. So we have to do something. Things that I would never would have thought that I would support or that an organization I was with would support, but we do now. And one of them is we got to change the composition of the court. And that doesn't mean removing current members, although that's something you could do. Uh, it means adding a couple of seats or some say as many as four to undo the unfairness of the cheating that went on to pack the court in this way. So that is one thing that can be done legislatively uh, in different ways. Some people say each president should get uh, two, cho two choices per term, once every two years. There are various ways it can be done. The second thing that we now support, it may require a amendment, although there's a debate about it, is, is term limit. Uh, a lot of scholars say 18 years uh, for a Supreme Court justice. It doesn't mean they couldn't be judges anymore, but they just wouldn't be on the Supreme Court after 18 years. What we've witnessed is an insane spectacle that the founders couldn't have intended where somebody like Justice Ginsburg is just hanging on terribly ill to try to somehow make sure that somebody else replaces her. That can't be the right thing. I mean, what it means, Jeannie, is the first thing you should do is not check whether somebody's qualified or graduated from law school. You should go go to a medical scientist and have them determine how long the person's likely to live. And I'm pretty sure that's not what this is all about, nor should it be about. Uh, so it's destroying the legitimacy of the call a big game. Uh, a, a political gamesmanship, and frankly, it's ruthless. We also think that other kinds of reforms should happen. One of them is the court should have some code of conduct. It should have rules, real rules, about when, uh, when they recuse themselves from decisions. This Justice Thomas and Ginny Thomas thing is a great example. It's long overdue. The lower federal courts have these rules. We should reform what I mentioned, the shadow docket. Crucial decisions, not just emergency decisions, but crucial decisions that could be uh, argued and discussed in public uh, through a Supreme Court hearing are being submerged into something that's really been illicitly expanded. So these are the things that we support. Uh, and I think, frankly, this terrible moment will help galvanize the movement to do some of those things. Yeah, I want to underscore, we, we have called for these sorts of reforms before this decision was leaked last night. Uh, the court's legitimacy crisis has been ongoing since Senator McConnell worked with the Trump administration to pack the court. So the reforms we're talking about would remedy the rights packing. Lindsay, I, I want to turn back to you uh, from a, to talk legislation here. Russ did a great job previewing how we could reform the court and restore its legitimacy. But for people concerned about reproductive rights, if this decision is imminent, 
what can Congress do to solidify reproductive rights in this environment? Well, there are a few options. Um, you know, there's a bill, there, well, there's several bills uh, pending in Congress right now. One has um, passed the House that I think is worthy of particular attention, and that is the Women's Health Protection Act. Uh, shorthand is WHPA. And it uh, would enshrine the right to abortion in federal law. It would also um, protect abortion access by creating a statutory right for healthcare providers to provide, as we've seen in SB8 and in other states. Um, you know, there's often a, an attack on the actual providers, um, and this would, would do the work to try and provide those folks with some protection. Um, and it also would just essentially when people talk about codify Roe, um, this, this is the type of legislation that they're talking about. It would create a nationwide um, right to abortion care um, through federal legislation. Now, that is not the same uh, level of strength as a constitutional right, um, but it is still a nationwide protection that Congress can uh, can enact. It is obviously going to run into some trouble in the Senate, um, as every other piece of uh, progressive legislation has. Uh, it's a 50-50 Senate. And as we know, it requires 60 votes to get most pieces of legislation through the Senate um, because of the filibuster. And so in order for Congress to enact protections for pregnant people, um, it is going to realistically require filibuster reform as well. Russ, can I ask you about filibuster reform? You've been in the Senate. You're familiar with the filibuster. What does filibuster reform look like? Well, let me first of all say that uh, Lindsay's right. This kind of legislation needs to be done. Uh, it, as Senator Warren just said a few minutes ago on CNN, that you know, at a minimum they should put it up for a vote, get people on record. Uh, and I also would say they should get on record with regard to the fact that I believe that the Equal Rights Amendment has been ratified, that 38 states have ratified it, because that also could be helpful on this. So um, we need to pass the legislation. It can be done. Uh, it looks like Senator Collins might be ready to be helpful on that. So it is not necessarily a partisan vote, maybe Senator Murkowski. But in the end, you have a filibuster problem. Well, the filibuster not only can be changed, but has been changed many times in American history. It's not in the Constitution. And there is a mechanism, uh, called, sometimes called the nuclear option, which has actually been used some 14 times, uh, where uh, they can vote by a majority vote to either eliminate the filibuster or limit it or carve out an exception for something like reproductive rights. I think it's time for them to do that. I think the president is acting as if it's time to do that. This is not just a question of reproductive rights. This is a question of a horrible division within this country that will unleash terrible problems for not only for women, but for people all over, all over the country and further damage the unity of the country. So it is a moment when serious change of the filibuster can be done, and it can be done rather quickly. When Senator Harry Reid, whether you thought it was a good decision or not, decided that there was destruction to the Obama administration's ability to fill nominations and fill out their administration. He walked across the hall from his office. And he went out there and he had the rule changed by a majority vote that can and should be done now with regard to this issue. That's on the national level. Lindsay, can you fill us in on what some of the states are doing? We're obviously seeing states pass trigger laws um, planning to ban abortion. But on the other end, are we seeing states trying to solidify reproductive rights at the state level? We are. And I think you're going to see some more action after um, the last 24 hours or so. Um, we are seeing some states take action to enshrine the right to abortion either in their state laws or their state constitution. 
um, in some states that requires a constitutional amendment process that voters vote on um, in a state like your home state of Vermont. Um, and there are there are several states who have either well on their way in the legislative process um, or have signaled desire to walk that path. So we've seen statements from several Democratic governors over the last 24 hours saying that um, they are they are seeking options in their states. Um, California's governor has said that he would like to enshrine a constitutional right to abortion in the California Constitution. Um, and New Jersey's governor just, I believe today, maybe yesterday, it's been a long 24 hours. I've lost track of when in the cycle we are, um, but signed statutory protections in New Jersey. So there is some, there is some hope to be had in some states. Um, in particular, it is really great to see some states looking to find ways to create access, knowing that there's going to be an influx of out-of-state residents um, and, and not seeking to close the doors on those folks, but rather just create access for both their own residents and those traveling. Um, and so those are particular spots of hope. And before we turn to the final, I do just want to take this opportunity to encourage folks tuning in to check out ACS's podcast, Broken Law. We have done multiple episodes about reproductive rights, including about Dobbs. Uh, and you can also catch our episode on Supreme Court reform uh, that features Russ. So if you want more information, check out Broken Law, uh, which you can find on our website or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, but Russ and Lindsay, I want to give you both a chance um, for any final thoughts. Russ, I'll start with you. What, what, what are your final thoughts on this topic? There's a lot to think through. I want to key off of what Lindsay was just talking about. Look. There are a number of states, if you understand this, where the Constitution can or does protect uh, reproductive rights. And so uh, the thing to remember is the Supreme Court can't really mess with this. Unless there was a constitutional amendment banning abortion in the United States, which people have tried to do, the states can say, look, we're going to protect it here. And in fact, uh, I think three states recently, the Supreme Courts of those states have said, yes, our law protects this. And so that is can be done in states that you might think are more liberal. But don't assume that states that are not liberal, that are maybe more red, that they wouldn't do it too. They're not going to vote for something that says Democrat on it. But I remember in 2016, when Trump won, I think it was Nebraska and South Dakota easily, that in those states on the same night, there was a vote in favor of minimum wage and for campaign finance reform. So the vote wouldn't be Democrat versus Republican. It would be, do you think a woman should have a right to choose? I'm not so sure that wouldn't pass and constitutional amendments couldn't be enacted. I even have this crazy idea that maybe it could even happen in a state like Wisconsin, but it can't unless you can get the legislature to be different in Wisconsin. In Wisconsin, you can't amend the Constitution unless you go through the legislature first. And that is the problem, because that's where the gerrymandering blocks change. Uh, and I will say reproductive rights are on the ballot in this sense, right? They're on the ballot in terms of electing state legislatures. And when it comes to state law and state constitutions, it's state courts not the Supreme Court that'll get the final say. It's on the ballot when you vote for attorney general. It's on the ballot when you vote for tech secretary of state. When these people can mess with the outcome of elections, they mess with your personal rights. And judges are also on the ballot in many states. Uh, Lindsay, final thoughts from you. You know, I think it is a moment for folks to be upset. Um, you know, oftentimes, at least for myself, I can find myself being like, okay, let's, you know, like we can, we can work our way through it and we can, and the only way is forward. Um, but, but people should channel their frustration, their anger, their hurt, um, into absolutely looking at who's on their ballot and making sure that they are, um, they're educating themselves on who on their ballot will protect, uh, abortion rights. And then also I would say, 
you know, if you have the means, uh, donate to your local abortion fund. Um, it is going to become very expensive for some people to access their care. And these funds do critical work in helping folks reduce some of those barriers. Um, and finally, I would say, you know, care about the courts. Um, we've talked a lot about Supreme Court reform here. The courts are, are significantly important as we move forward um, on not only abortion rights, but other critical f fundamental rights. Um, and if you care about the courts, you can join ACS. Um, we are doing really important work on this issue. And so you can do that at acslaw.org backslash join. Um, but whether or not you, you donate, please uh, or join ACS, which you should. Um, but please just keep the courts front and center in this conversation going forward because it's a critical component that we really need to do a better job of focusing on. That is an excellent uh, concluding note. And I will add that ACS is having its national convention this June in Washington, D.C. on June 16th and 17th. And there will be a plenary on reproductive rights where we will have a much more in-depth discussion uh, about all of the things we discussed today. So I encourage everyone to register, to come to our convention. You can attend in person or virtually. To register, go to acslaw.org backslash convention. And with that, thank you, Russ. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today. And more power to activism, to lawyers, to students, to voters. I hope you were encouraged today to take action um, at the local and federal level. Thank you so much for your time. Take care and be safe. Amen.